The first thing we hear about King Asa is that when he became king, the land had peace for 10 whole years. Now, I don't know if that sounds like a lot to you, but in that time, to those folks, 10 years of peace was like a lifetime. Things were so unstable with the hostile foreign powers surrounding the now divided kingdom, Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Asa did everything the right way. He removed the foreign altars. He destroyed pagan shrines. It says three or four or five different ways that he cut down the asherim, these, these tall poles that they would put up like, like, a, like a light pole. And that was like an altar that they would worship at. He cut that all down and he tore down altars. And he said, everyone in the kingdom of Judah, we are going to seek Yahweh. We're going to seek the Lord and we're going to follow his commandments. The first period of Asa's reign is summed up like this by the chronicler. And I say chronicler because we don't actually know who wrote chronicles. So we just give them a name like the chronicler. Why not? Right. It says this. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. But then in the 35th year of Asa's reign, things went wrong. Asa was faced with a relatively small threat. The king of Israel, right, the northern kingdom, decided, I'm going to build up this fortress city right on the border. And that way, I'm not going to let any trade go in and out. I'm going to cut off the passage of goods into the southern kingdom, right? And so Asa sees this happening, or hears the report, and takes it as an act of war, which it was. And we skipped over this passage from Second Chronicles where a million-man army marches in force against Jerusalem, against King Asa. And what does Asa do? He runs into the temple and he, and he prays. He seeks help from God. And so now when we hear in 2 Chronicles 16 that he goes, you know, he took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. He went into the temple. But he, did he go into the temple to pray this time? No. Instead, he entered the temple so that he might pay. And what was the payment for? Well, Asa emptied the silver and gold, but I really want you to hold in your mind the silver. That's going to be important here in about two minutes. Asa emptied the silver from the temple treasury so that he might approach this king in Syria who was friendly with the king of Israel. I know there are a lot of kings here, right? But Asa is trying to break up a friendship with this money. He's saying, make a deal with me. I'll pay you silver if you betray the king of Israel. And this payment for blood using the temple's money was the undoing of Asa's long reign of peace. Now, you might rightly be wondering, what on earth does this obscure king from Second Chronicles have to do with Lent, with Jesus, <laughs> with the passion of our Lord? Why are we in Second Chronicles? This is usually one of the books that we kind of just like, oh, let's skip through that one in the Bible in a Year reading plan because it's, you know, there are certain pages where they might as well have just drawn a map. 
Like, why do we, I don't know what hill they're talking about. Uh, you know, they, he chased him from this hill over there all the way to this brook. You know, it's a little bit like getting directions out here in the country. Yeah. You know, you, you know, the hill east of town, like what hill we're, we live out on the prairie. Anyway, the reason we're in second Chronicles is because Asa helps us see Jesus. Everything in scripture is ultimately about Jesus, including this obscure king during the divided kingdom era. So you know who else's blood was paid for using money from the temple? I think I heard somebody whisper it. Jesus. Those threatened by the king of glory, not the king of Israel anymore in the north, but the king of glory, our Lord Jesus, they sought to get rid of him by approaching one of his friends, one of his companions, Judas, who'd been with him for those three years. And they paid him with silver from the temple treasury. And this payment for blood using the temple's money For Asa, it was the end of his reign of peace. For Jesus, it was the beginning of his eternal reign of peace. Because the betrayal that Jesus suffered was of his own design. It's not a thing that happened to him that he was surprised by. It was his own will that led to this course of events. The betrayal that Jesus suffered was not ultimately so that payment might be exchanged for his blood, but that his blood might be offered as payment for your sins. And in preparation for making this payment, our Lord also entered the temple in Jerusalem, like his forefather, King Asa. But unlike his father Asa, King Jesus did not enter to secure gold and silver for himself. In fact, Jesus went in to cleanse the temple Asa had defiled the temple by basically treating it like his own personal bank. His safe deposit box there in the temple of the Lord. Let me go get all that silver and gold I saved up for just this occasion. Then go and pay to have people killed with with that money. Jesus enters into the temple to do what? Do you remember this? It involves flipping tables. (laughs) And making a big mess. And a lot of people were pretty mad at him for this. One account even has him, before he enters in, you know, he goes out and he finds some grasses and maybe a switch. And he's braiding a whip. You know, he's thinking, maybe he's talking to himself. And then he goes into the temple and he drives out everyone who is using the temple as a place to turn a buck, make a profit. The money changers. He drives them all out of there because he wanted to restore the temple to this purpose. Not that people would go there and pay like King Asa, pay in order to receive God's help, but that they would pray like Asa did at first. And Jesus did all of this so that we would have peace, not for 10 years and not for 35, but for eternity. Remember, the entire Bible is about Jesus. And he said that. Not even, I mean, including, (laughs) 
including and probably actually especially these obscure kings from Second Chronicles. And here's why I say that. These kings in the southern kingdom, they were descended from David, King David. You know, David and Goliath uh, wrote a bunch of the Psalms. David was promised that one of his sons would reign eternally and that his reign would be full of righteousness and peace. And you can look this up in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. It says, this is God speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. All right, Jesus entering into the temple. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And this promise meant that every king in the line of David bore this, the weight of this expectation. Maybe this is the one. Maybe it was going to be Solomon, but it wasn't Solomon. And in these midweek services, we're going to continue to look at these kings and we're going to see how the failures in their lives and the successes in their lives, the way that they followed God, the ways that they followed God, that is, point us to the true king in the line of David who would usher in peace, who would build a temple, a house for God's name, who would offer his blood as payment for our sins. It was not Asa, but rather Asa's son. Amen.